your need-to-know cultural snapshot of Wisconsin and beyond. This is What's on Tap with Sandy Max. A deep dive into all things intriguing, riveting, and entertaining. And now your host for the evening, here's Sandy Max. Good evening. Thanks so much for joining me. Welcome to What's on Tap tonight. I am Sandy Max, and tonight it's February 1st. The start of Black History Month and our teammates at 101.7 The Truth have a story to share about a woman who sued in the 1700s and helped start to put a stop to slavery. So we'll visit that story. Eric WTMJ's Eric Bilstad takes us to the Milwaukee Zoo to hear how they're preparing for Groundhog Day tomorrow morning and brand new music from Billy Joel for the first time in 17 years. It's the song you need to hear tonight. But first... Talking about music, we celebrate a milestone, a diamond anniversary for the epic band, The Beatles. It was 60 years ago today that their very first number one song hit the Billboard 100 charts. And to share more about why this musical achievement is worth celebrating and also discuss the Beatles' Wisconsin connections and their continued relevance and influence in the 21st century i have the pleasure of welcoming to the wtmj studio cultural historian dr diana bells camper camper excuse me <laughs> diana welcome thank you so much it's great to be here i am so glad that you are here so what is the significance really of what does it really mean in the beatles lore for the very first of how many number one songs to have hit the charts February 1st, 1964. I think it is a really... The reason it's such a significant milestone is because this was a turning point in global culture, in youth culture, in uh, popular culture overall. But it really signaled a, a shift um, generationally in the, the influence of who was dictating the marketplace who was dictating um, the taste and style of um, really the the expression of a of a whole generation, and it might sound a little strange to say that happens in a two minute two and a half minute song, but it's a it's a signpost. It's it's very significant coming out of the uh, the mourning period after the Kennedy assassination. I mean, this was. Yeah, 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 and we can shake our heads and we can dance again. And it was it was sort of permission for um, at least the Western world certainly um, to to have fun again. And thus, cu- cultural historian, you're right, putting it in perspective of November 1963 to February 1964, and you talk about culturally and just kind of the seismic shift this was their first number one song i want to hold your hand that was february 1st 1964 well it's february 9th just a week later mm-hmm. that uh they do this they go on the ed sullivan show so what a heck of a booking for ed sullivan to have gotten the beatles the week after absolutely. their first number one song absolutely and they were adamant that they did not want to come to the united states until they had a number one song they had told Brian Epstein, we don't want to go there as, as also-rans. We don't want to go there as a novelty act. So they were adamant. They found out when they were in Paris that I Want to Hold Your Hand had gone to number one in the United States. And Brian Epstein had already signed the deal, um, obviously, months ahead of time, <laughs> yeah. um, for three appearances on The Ed Sullivan Show. 
And he just sort of quietly did that. And fortunately, you know, the stars aligned. It all came together. And when they arrived in in February, on the 7th of February, they were blown away. They thought the president had arrived um, when they landed because of all of the people, the, the screaming and shouting. They couldn't imagine that it was for them, even though they'd experienced it in England already. Sure. And, you know, they they had a huge fan base in Germany. Um, in France, they had as well. But America was something that British artists had never conquered. And they were really the first ones. I mean, and to have such a major impact. But again, it was mass media. It was that coordination, that synchrony of magazines, of television, of radio, and bringing that all together with a huge baby boom generation. And in the 60s, it was the time of just network television. And like you said, newspapers and magazines and radio. It was a much smaller cluster of media. True, we, you know, you hear people digging on mainstream media now. Like, yeah. it really was mainstream. Like, those were your channels. And very tightly coordinated, too. Right. So, to be able to crack that, go Brian Epstein. Yeah. <laughs> the Beatles' connections to Milwaukee and Wisconsin. Cultural historian Diana Bells Camper shares more fun facts and deep knowledge about the Fab Four next on What's on Tap. You are listening to What's on Tap. I am Sandy Max, joined in the studio by Beatles expert and cultural historian, Dr. Diana Bellscamper, my special guest today because you are hearing one of the many number one songs by the Beatles. And today is the 60th anniversary of their very first number one song back in 1964 on February 1st. I want to hold your hand. And Diana, we're listening to Hey Jude I bet you know what the significance of that number one song is. Charting. Pardon? (laughs) The longest charting. Yes. (laughs) 19 weeks, starting in September 28, 1968. Amazing. The the Beatlemania kept it because you were just sharing with 1964 when they got here. The Beatles were like, we're not coming over until we have a number one hit. Yeah. And it worked. (laughs) Absolutely. And you think of just the, the range and the depth of... Uh, of not only the songwriting, I mean, it, in just such a short period of time, how much they accomplished and just completely changed the sound of popular music. Obviously, there were many others along with them, you know, Bob Dylan, the Beach Boys, and others who had a little bit of an impact on that as well. But, um, you know, really just is- issuing the tide forward to change what was considered popular music. Certainly, yeah, a variety of all that. Yeah, not just uh, the kind of big band evolution Mm -hmm. with the Pat Boons and and that sort of standard, I think would be a good description of that, not to be derogatory in any way, just an evolution of music and a big burst of creativity there in those five years. And Mm -hmm. another great thing about 1964 was when the Beatles did decide to tour and say, okay, we're not coming over there until we get that number one hit, Milwaukee was one of the couple dozen cities that the Beatles performed in. And, yes. Diana, that's how I met you yeah. through a Milwaukee PBS documentary that was being made 10 years ago. And you were interviewed as part of that. What were some yes. of the uh, fun facts that maybe you learned in finding out about the Beatles being here in Milwaukee? Yeah. Well, I think one of the more um, well-known, but still I find charming facts, is that they stayed at the... Uh, Coach Motorhouse Inn, I believe I may have the words uh, 
mixed up there a little bit, but um, which is now a Marquette University dormitory. I was just going to say for us, uh, for we Marquette alumni, we know that as Mishuda Hall. Yes, yes. So, you know, the fact that the building is still standing and, you know, that lucky person who ends up in that room every year has has tours who informal tours that go that go around because it's just the idea that they were in these walls, that they were walking these streets, that they, you know, were breathing the same air as the as the kids here. And it was remarkable because you think about this period of time where the Braves had won the World Series, you know, several years earlier and but they were leaving milwaukee and industry you know had made milwaukee such a a booming city in the 40s 50s and things are starting to slow down a little bit in the 60s so the fact that the beatles chose to come to milwaukee and of course we're lured with um you know financial compensation but it, it it was it was meaningful it was very meaningful to a city that um felt like it was losing a lot of um, its cultural uh, cachet. In a Interesting sense. perspective. Again, I love that cultural historian is such a unique title, but yeah. you've done a great job just in our short discussion now, really putting those pieces of what was happening in the world at the time yeah. and how the Beatles, which you can just go, oh, they were just a band and they made a lot of girls scream. It's like, no, they're, this was a creativity and a boost of energy and positive energy in a, in a country that was looking for it in in economic terms and also oh, in political terms and, with the death of John F Kennedy you yes were very and insightful even in their their first visit um in February you have the British prime minister who comes to the US as well and s- sort of riding the coattails saying hey um we're we're in favor here now let's <laughs> let's have some smart. conversations <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty smart well as part of the documentary on Milwaukee PBS the Beatles vade in Milwaukee which is it's a fun half hour and it's a yeah. great batch of interviews not just with you Diana but also with women now yes. who were girls who were there and Bob Berry epic legendary yes. radio Absolutely. talent here and you know audio from Bob Berry includes uh, some of the concert but this is what it sounds like at the arena those are girls screaming <laughs> yeah. And that's what they heard on stage. They couldn't hear themselves playing. Who knows if they were plugged in, right? <laughs> this, this is all you can... And the screams just get louder as soon as yeah. they get on stage. So, and, and just some of the fun stories of the documentary. I remember like people who couldn't hear for days afterwards. Yes. And, and girls who were begging their parents to get the tickets and who they could get tickets from. I mean, it was such a craze and such a phenomenon that landed right here in Milwaukee. Yes. I don't think it'll be the same vibe for the Republican National Convention, but it's great to have the world's eyes on Milwaukee and have still this sort of energy happening in downtown. Yes. And when you have it in, you know, it, it, it brings life to to the the city center. Obviously, it brings attention. It brings eyes. But it also brings some pride, and it is a sense of we belong. We're we're on the global scale. We're we're part of a phenomenon, and you know, it, especially I, I just I think back, especially in that era. You know, you think a few years later we're going to have race riots and we're going to have um, war protests, and th- I mean, three years later, some of those things are going on in downtown Milwaukee. And 
this was still that sense of innocence. The 60s hadn't really started. And I have air quotes there. The 60s <laughs> hadn't quite started. I mean, the Beatles are in many ways the representation of the 60s for a lot of people. But this was still their innocence, too. Yeah, They were this was uncharted territory and they were the first to do it. And as they evolved, so evolved the youth culture. Well, we're going to have more because the Beatles are still having an influence and relevance Mm -hmm. in the 21st century. Uh, You want to jump on our WTMJ YouTube if you can, because you need to see Diana's colorful and appropriate Beatles scarf. (laughs) And I have some uh, collectibles from my vinyl collection and even my mom's sweatshirt that I can uh, hold up and share. But the Beatles could win a Grammy this year. And next year, cultural historian Dr. Diana Bellscamper and I discuss the continued relevance and influence of the Beatles next on What's on Tap. That is the newest and latest and supposedly last Beatles song called Now and Then that the band released last November. I'm your host, Sandy Max, and joining me in the WTMJ studio is cultural historian Dr. Diana Bellscamper. Talking about the phenomenon that remains into the 21st century, the Beatles. And this song was by the use of technology. But today's milestone for the Beatles really is the 60th anniversary of their very first number one Billboard hit. And Dr. Bellscamper, you're an expert on the Beatles. You're right here in Milwaukee. What was your reaction when you first heard this song now and then a few months ago? <laughs> it was It was emotional. And I think the what really struck me about it is, of course, the lyrics, you know, I'll love you now and then. And it's not just occasionally, but it's, you know, in that sense of originally, but yet that that legacy continues. But also, I mean, just to be a fan of a different generation and you know that there are children who are fans and that this multi-generational fan group is all hearing the song for the first time together bringing that community together in ways that it it has literally never happened before and so you have this multi-generational uh just sort of joy some suspicion some uh, you know some people aren't really comfortable with the technology but i just think that multi-layered approach of having a demo from the 70s and then you're pulling in george's guitar from the 90s and then you have you know contemporary paul and ringo um working with that it just it's i'm a a a scholar of postmodernism and right there is a a quintessential example of what postmodernism is It is taking nostalgia it's taking components and turning it into something new it is um really just celebrating um the atypical in a sense and i could you identify any other way i mean this is just the way it was constructed the way um it was received and the video whether you like it or not it is beyond creative and it is a piece to behold (laughs) and it captures the essence of these four men that have become so beloved i have to think at the 2025 grammys now and then gets nominated in some sort of categories it has to and the beatles are technically nominated in this year's grammy awards not necessarily for their song, but for a music video for I'm Only Sleeping. Yes. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it is very artistic. It is created by a British 
filmmaker and animator. Her name is M. Cooper. Mm. And it's all oil-painted animation slides, which is what makes it so yes. intensely different and beautiful. But uh, I'd be interesting to see if they win. If they win, the Beatles themselves don't get the little statuette. Yes. Because it's inside. But, but again, showing that the influence on this other artist and filmmaker, mm-hmm. I wonder if she's sick of hearing, I'm only sleeping. But it, but it inspired her to create this piece of art. And then you cycle that back around to, these were art students. Oh, right. They weren't scholars. They were art students. They went to art school for something to do. And the the fact that that creativity, I mean, this is why I love culture. Culture is an expression of a society. It's not an explanation for historical events. It's an expression of how a society feels, their reactions to what's going on around them, and the fact that they were creators, that they were artists visually and, you know, musically, writers, the whole the whole piece of it. And so to have it come back around now for visual art combined with music is just, I, I, I like the symmetry there. Diana, you are a joy. And What's on Tap is all about culture and creativity. Yeah. So I would love it if you would come back and visit in the future, whether it's to talk about the Beatles or any of the other many subjects that you have written about in I pop culture. Love, oh, thank you to. very, very much. And happy Beatles 60th anniversary yes. of their first number one hit to you. Thank you so much. Happy Feb February, as I like to say. Oh, there she is. Happy Feb February to you. More coming up on What's on Tap. But right now we go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center with Jessica Gatso. This monumental moment in black history is sponsored by Tayback Law, Educators Credit Union, and American Family Insurance. Elizabeth Freeman, also known as Mum Beck, was one of the first enslaved African Americans to file and win a freedom suit in the state of Massachusetts. The Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court ruling in Freeman's favor found slavery to be inconsistent with the 1780 Constitution of the state. Her suit Brom and Bett versus Ashley, 1781, was cited in the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court appellate review of Quack Walker's freedom suit. When the court upheld Walker's freedom under the state's constitution, the ruling was considered to have implicitly ended slavery in the state of Massachusetts. Her successful lawsuit, while in the year 1780, was the first of many different lawsuits that began to topple slavery in America. Listen to 1017 The Truth all month long as we celebrate Black History Month. February 1st, we are in it, and that was a feature created by Sherwin Hughes of 101.7 The Truth, sharing the story of a woman who made a difference all the way back in 1781, Mum Betts. And I love that it's a chance to explore and remember people who don't always get honored during history. And I'll be devoting time during each What's on Tap episode in February to honor Black History Month because we can all learn something and build bridges to understanding of the challenges and accomplishments in black heritage, not just in history going back to the 1700s, but also our own history here in Milwaukee and in Wisconsin. So we'll be keeping an eye on that and uh, spotlighting Black History Month on What's on Tap. Wait, what's tomorrow? Penguin Day? WTMJ's Eric Bilstead explains next on What's on Tap. I'm Sandy Max. February 1st, tomorrow is Groundhog Day. That song reminds me of the Bill Murray movie. Welcome back to What's on Tap, a show about culture and creativity. And the next story is a solid combination of both the tradition of Groundhog Day and creative problem solving. You see, Groundhog Day is tomorrow, but sadly, 
Gordy the Groundhog at Milwaukee County Zoo, he passed away earlier, or, or this past year, which means now this year, the zoo is going to turn to a penguin to make a prognostication. WTMJ's Eric Bilstad investigates what led to the zoo's decision. With beloved Gordy no longer with us, the Milwaukee County Zoo had to make a decision. Which animal could be used as a replacement on Groundhog Day? What are we looking at right here? This is our humble penguin exhibit. That's Joe on on exhibit, one of our keepers who's cleaning up the area today. And he's cleaning it because there's a big event taking place on Friday. Well, yeah, we clean it on a routine basis. I'm chatting with Alex Ware. He's the zoo's aviary curator. The zoo has decided to go with a penguin to make the prediction, which begs the question, why a penguin? Well, we entertain the possibility of using several animals in the zoo, but we're somewhat limited in the fact that it's still winter and a lot of our warm weather animals are not able to come outside. So the cool temps limit the pool of animal choices, but in this reporter's mind, there's one easy option. Of course, the badger. This is Wisconsin, and the zoo has one. Do we know if the badger was pissed that he wasn't asked to do this? I don't think the badger minds. I think the badger's uh, uh, still sleeping or snoozing. Ah, right. Hibernation. Yeah, the badger does hibernate. He's still sleeping. We haven't seen him in a while. Tim Wilde is the curator of large mammals at the zoo. Yeah, he says many of his animals couldn't be considered because they're sleeping. Or because they're totally not safe. Which animal, I guess, would you not want to wake up from hibernation the most? Well, I wouldn't want to wake the bears up. Our, our big cats do not hibernate, but uh, something like a jaguar or a male tiger are things that I would not want to wake up next to. All right, so penguins it is. Which Ware says is a good choice, given the temperature. Penguins have a really broad range of temperature parameters that they can come out in, anywhere from 10 degrees to 80 degrees or 90 degrees in the summertime. So we figured they would be a logical placeholder for Gordy. So that means the pressure is on. They say that Punxsutawney Phil is 40% accurate. So if you were to guess, I mean, this is maybe a one and done for the penguin. I mean, is yeah. there pressure on yeah. to get I, it right? I think, I think history will bear that out. I think it would be ideal if they were one for one going down the road. Maybe more people will think about using penguins in the future. No matter what happens and whether a penguin sees a shadow or not, one thing Wild reminds us about Wisconsin winter. So I figured in Wisconsin we always have six more weeks anyways. This is true. Eric Bilstad, WTMJ News. The Penguin Day event at the Milwaukee County Zoo is going to happen tomorrow morning at 9 before the zoo opens for the day. Uh, The good news is you will be able to see the result, though, because the zoo will post the results on social media. And honestly, we've all been curious in the WTMJ newsroom. I think a bunch of us may just cram into a car and uh, go over there to see if we can talk our way in to see it in the morning. Ground And with a brand new original song, Billy Joel is back for the first time in 17 years. What does the song sound like? Is it any good? It's the song you need to hear next on What's on Tap on WTMJ. Ground And now, feast your ears. This is the song you need to hear. Most blokes are going to be playing at 10. These go to 11. 
Maybe you saw Billy Joel performing live at Lambeau Field in 2017. Maybe you've just loved listening to Billy Joel for decades now. Well, good news. He is back with his first original song since 2007, just released today. It's called Turn the Lights Back On. This is Billy Joel's newest song on What's on Tap on WTMJ. Please open the door. Nothing is different. We've been here before. Pacing these halls, trying to talk over the silence. And pride sticks out his tongue, laughs at the portrait that we become. Stuck in a frame, unable to change, I was wrong. I'm late. The cold settles in, it's been a long wind of indifference And maybe you love me, maybe you don't Maybe you learn to, and maybe you won't You've had enough, but I won't give up on you I'm late Still time for forgiveness Won't you tell me how I can't read your mind But I see you now As we're laying in the darkness
Billy Joel, Turn the Lights Back On. That is Billy Joel's first original song in 17 years. He kind of retired from songwriting and took a break. And at one point he even said that he took a break from drinking because that was impeding his songwriting abilities. But I listened to that, one of the first things I listened to today. And my impressions are that his voice at the beginning really reminded me of Elton John. Obviously a piano playing buddy that he used to tour with. It's got that Billy Joel distinctive piano sound that you want. You kind of don't want a Billy Joel song at this stage without that piano. And actually, Billy Joel's voice in that song sounds younger and stronger than I expected. I didn't expect it to sound gravelly like Bob Dylan or anything, but it just, it's got a brightness to it. So you can find it on streaming, I'm sure. Uh, it doesn't look like he's going to release an album, but that is the single. It's called turn the lights back on and you can see billy joel performing on the grammys on sunday and speaking of the grammys i'm very excited because marquette alum milwaukee native cheryl pavelski she is nominated for a grammy award for nearly 20 years of work on a box set called written in their soul the stacks songwriter demos that great memphis sound and tomorrow on what's on tap cheryl's going to chat with us about what the hoopla is like surrounding being nominated, all the events leading up to it, and what it's like to win. She's won three of those golden gramophone statuettes so far. So that is tomorrow. Cheryl Pavelski and a Grammy preview tomorrow at 6 on What's on Tap.